Amen. Cool. Well, if you have a Bible today, let's open up to the book of Psalms, chapter 32. As this evening, we're going to cover a couple of chapters. And the first chapter, it has a lot to do with confession. You know, when I was Catholic, prior to being saved, you know, confession, it, it meant a lot to me. But um, I don't know, man, sometimes when you, you know, get saved, you come into the Protestant denomination, a lot of times we, we forget the importance of confession, the cleansing of confession. As a matter of fact, I was just reading an article about a man who confessed to a murder he committed 25 years ago. And apparently what had happened was him and a couple of friends of his, they set up a, a teenager, it was a drug deal supposedly, but instead they robbed, they killed him, they left his body in the woods, they dumped his car at the local Costco, and they thought they got away with the crime. But all those years, that, that sin, that heinous, wicked life of murder was ebbing away at their soul until finally they could take it no longer and this man right here that confessed to the crime you know it drove him to christ and he eventually got saved and he knew that he couldn't undo what he'd done but he knew this that the only way to be set free from the guilt that was ruining his life was he needed to confess his sins and, and that's what we're going to see today in Psalm 32. I, I believe, we're not sure, but most teachers believe that it was a time when David had, you know, committed his crime of adultery and murder. You can read about it in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. And what we find is that David probably went about a year without true fellowship with God. And we're going to see it was tearing him up until the day came where God intervened and God changed his life. You know, maybe you're here and right off the bat, you're like, well, I never murdered anybody. You know, I'm not, I'm not getting high. I'm not getting drunk. I'm not addicted to porn. Maybe you are. I don't know what's going on, but you know what? I'll bet you almost anything, everybody here needs to get on their knees and ask God, what sins do I need to confess? Do I need to open up about? Because it really is uh, the activity of a Christian that cleanses our heart. And so we read here in Psalm 32, notice what we read in verse 1. It says, a Psalm of David, uh, a contemplation. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. We're going to see today the contrast between a, a man who's blessed and a man who's bummed. 
And we see, first of all, the man who's blessed in verses 1 through 2. It's the man who is forgiven. You know, uh, it says, Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. You know, a, a blessing. You know, what is that? You know, is it when you're rich? You know, is it when you get... You know, what your flesh wants. Well, what is a blessing? Well, a, a blessing is the gracious goodness of God that falls down upon our lives. You know, I, I, and when we think of blessings, I don't know if there's a bigger blessing than the blessing of forgiveness. You know, at the end of the day, all of our struggles can be traced back to this. Our greatest and deepest need is to be forgiven. And when we look at our text right here, we see that it's not just the sins that are covered. We read here in verse 1 that it says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. You know, a transgression in one sense is interesting when you look at all the different words for for sins, but it's kind of worse, you know. A transgression is full-on crossing the line, you know, jumping the fence, It's kind of like going overboard. It's just like real rebellion against God. And so, you know, if you think about it, if God wanted to, he could have easily just let us die as rebels and suffer with devils. You know, we could have just died there and it would have been justifiable for God to leave us there in hell forever. That's what we deserved. But but here we see, you know, David says, blessed is that man who is forgiven. Blessed are those who are dressed in God's robes of righteousness because at the end of the day, we understand that we are loved and forgiven by God, you know? And it's interesting, other translations, they they talk about the joy you should have, you know, the joy you should have when you're forgiven. And, And I don't know if we really have that joy, you know, the way that we should. But I pray that you, you do. I pray that it starts. I pray that something happens in your life. There's a trigger. There's a work of the Holy Spirit where now, you know, you walk out those doors today and you're not all bummed, but you're blessed. You've been given the joy of Jesus because he's forgiven you of your sins. You know, verse 2, it says, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and and the word impute is kind of more of a legal term you know one day we'll be in the heavenly courts and they're going to search your records they're going to see that there's nothing there there's no record of wrongdoing in those books they're not there in our account our sins apparently our sins have been removed and I, i don't know about you man but that that makes me pretty happy You know, the Bible says in Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgression from us. You go, and how far is the east is from the west? You know, God takes your sin, all the things that you did in in the past, even the present, even the future, he takes them and he throws them as far as the east is from the west. In other words, it just, it's a vanishing point. The Bible says he puts your sins behind his back. He has the ability to forget, so to speak. And so when you think about that, that's us. You know, what we should have is is joy. We should be uh, happy. I don't know if you guys are happy, but hopefully you are. Even though I know life is hard, we're going through our struggles. You know, we really should have joy. And we're going to see that even at the end of our study today. Okay, so we got a couple of visuals 
about being joyful, okay? We are forgiven. Number one, we see that guy right there. You know, he's just praising God. You know, praise God that I'm forgiven. And then you see the girl right there, and she's just leaping for joy, man. And is that you? Are you blessed or are you bummed? Right here we read, blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven. You know, but I will say this, that you can't be blessed unless you're forgiven and you can't be forgiven unless you confess your sins. And we're going to talk about that as we go through our study today. Again, notice what we read here in verse 3. He says, when I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer Salah. You know, and, and you look at that, the guy who's blessed, now it's the guy who's bummed. And there's a contrast between these two guys, right? Between the forgiven man, he's foolish. Why? Because he's silent. All he has to do is confess his sins. He's foolish because he's silent, then he's bummed, and he refuses to confess and forsake. You know, even though, I mean, the guy's experiencing the miracle of conviction and God's pointing to the problem, God's hand is heavy upon him and he's dying inside, his bones are brittle, it's conviction to the core, you know, it's a terrible place to be. One man even translated it as saying he was tormented. And so he's groaning all day. Notice what it says there at the end of verse 4, my vitality was turned into the drought of summer. And so a lot of people believe what that means is that his uh, strength was sapped, um, kind of like, um, I don't know if you guys are enjoying the heat wave right now. You guys like that? It's hot, man. <laughs> you know, and so we're getting creative at our house because we don't have uh, central air or anything. We got this one little air conditioner in one room, and so I sleep on the floor with the spiders. Um, <laughs> You know, and so, you know, in our house, it's kind of funny because we don't want to leave the window open too much. So we leave it open, you know, kind of cracked. And so we've got one fan blowing this way and another one blowing that way. You know, and I don't know. It, now it's not so bad, huh? But a few days ago, was it really hot for you guys? Did anyone here lose any sleep? Maybe a couple of you. I know I did. <laughs> you know, and it was kind of like that. It's so hot. You know, um, we're blessed. How many of you think air conditioning is one of the best inventions in the whole world, man? You know, it's amazing. Air conditioning, man, that's amazing. But, you know, here's a guy, he says, this is how I feel. It's like I, I have no strength. It's like the drought of summer, like the water was symbolic of a strength, but as soon as it was watered, it just evaporated. There, there was nothing there. There's no joy in this person's life. There's no power in this person's life. Their sins aren't forgiven because they haven't really come clean. And that's how important it is to come clean. And I, and I know, again, I want to just caution you into thinking, well, that's for the murderers, that's for the, you know, the adulterers like David was, that's for those who do the really bad things. No, I mean, it's for us kind of like any way that we get dirty, you know? You go to the Lord. This is why it's so important that we have an intimate and personal relationship with God. 
This is why if you're there and you're trying to spend time with God and you get on your knees for three or five minutes or whatever and you say, okay, God, I got to go right now because I got school or I got work or I got things to do. How can God search your heart and show you your sin that you need to confess and come clean with in such a superficial relationship with him? Psalm 139, it talks about God searching our hearts. And then when he shows you your sin, then you confess it. You know, you forsake it. You know, not that we have to go to a priest anymore, but we go to the Lord. And, and it, the, the Greek word is homologeo. It's the same thing that God says about those activities in our life that we need to come clean with. I'm telling you this, I, I really believe that a lot of people... They're, they're burdened down with so many things and weights because they haven't really come to that place of truly and totally confessing their sins. Now, not like a Martin Luther. Don't get me wrong, but in a healthy way. You know, this guy right here, no joy. My pastor used to always tell me that. The reason why some people don't have joy is because there's sin in their life. And they need to come clean. You know, the, the fact is that David here was going through a lot. You read Second Samuel chapter 11, and you kind of get the background of all that was taking place. Some of you guys know the story. Let me see if I can tell you real quick. You guys remember how David saw Bathsheba. She was beautiful. She was bathing. And so he inquired about her, and they said, you know, King David, yeah, she's uh, the wife of Uriah, one of your mighty men. And so that should have just settled it all. He should have not, you know, s- taken it a step further. But what does he do? He goes, he sends for her, he sleeps with her, sends her away, thinking that everything's going to be good, comes to find out that she's pregnant. He doesn't know what to do. It's embarrassing for him. And so what does he do? He tells Uriah to come home from the battle. He tells Uriah to go home and sleep with his wife. But he doesn't. The guy is one of the most amazing men in the Bible. He had so much integrity. Even when he got drunk, he did the right thing. He said, I can't go and sleep with my wife when all the soldiers are out there in the battle. And so, you know, David's like, man, the only way I can get rid of this guy is if I kill him. And so he writes a note, he seals it, he sends it with Uriah, and he tells Joab to put him in the heat of the battle, in the front of the battle, so that he would die. And sure enough, the plan succeeds, and, you know, Uriah dies. So, you know, he takes Bathsheba in to be his wife, and, uh, you know, he thinks, I got away with it. I got away with my sin. I mean, there are some guys, they're married, they, they've committed adultery, they haven't told anybody yet. One day, your sin will be found out. There are some people doing a different things, talking smack, I mean, you name it. One day, it'll be shouted from the mountaintop unless you really come clean. You know, but David didn't, he thought it was all done. And uh, he thinks I can go on, live on my merry way. And, and you guys remember what happened. For 11 months, maybe a year, that's a long time. We were reading about right here in verses 3 and 4. You know, his bones are brittle. He has no joy. God's hand is heavy upon him. It's like a drought of summer. He doesn't really have fellowship with God. And maybe that's why you're struggling. 
You know, maybe you feel distant from God. And again, I don't know why, because there are various reasons why. Sometimes people just go through that because God has taken you through a test of your faith and it's a season. But sometimes it's because you haven't really taken the time to step before God and find out what's going on in your heart so that he can show you so that you confess it and that you can come clean. That's where David was for a year. He felt distant from God. But what ends up happening, you guys remember eventually, 2 Samuel chapter 12, that's when Nathan comes in and he tells him the whole parable. And what ends up happening is he exposes David's sin. And, and man, you know, the, the parable is an amazing parable. You know, Nathan talks about, you know, this one guy on one side, he's got all these sheep, he's super, super rich, you know, and then he's got this other guy over here, and he's got one little sheep, and this little sheep is like a pet to him. He sleeps with it. You know how some people are weird with their pets, man, and they, they dress them up and stuff like that? Well, that's how he was with his sheep. He loved this little sheep. And so one day, someone comes to the rich guy's house, and uh, what ends up happening? Hey, you need food for the, the guy? And so what does he do? He goes and he takes that man's one sheep, and he kills it. And David, when he finds out Nathan's town in the story, David is just so upset. He said, that man shall die. And Nathan said, you're the man. God said, I gave you so much. I blessed you in so many ways. But look what you did with the blessings of God. And David, at that point, he's king. Okay, here's the bottom line. He could have done a lot of different things. He could have said, soldiers, kill him. Right? He could have. He could have said, I don't know what you're talking about. He could have denied it. He could have justified it. Just like a lot of times, that's what we do with our sin. We justify it. We rationalize it. But, 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 but David, praise God, the king, he finally said those words that he should have said so long ago, I have sinned. And in doing so, finally, the burden begins to be lifted. You know, and, and Nathan said, you know, praise God, you know, you, you're, you're, you, your sin is forgiven right there and then, but there would be consequences. But the sin is forgiven. And, and so, you know, David, more than likely in conjunction with Psalm 51, which is kind of a prayer for forgiveness, is Psalm 32, where he says, wow, now it's a different life. Blessed is that man whose sin is covered, whose transgression is forgiven. Blessed is that man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. I was worried. Now, I was talking to a guy one time who hadn't been coming to church for a while. You know, he used to be here, man. He used to serve. He was involved in ministry. God was using his life. Then next thing you know, he's out there. He doesn't come to church anymore. He's out there getting drunk. And he told me, he said, I was afraid to die. Because when you die in that condition, how do you know it? What assurance do you have as far as where you're going to end up? And so, you know, coming now to this place of, man, I'm forgiven. Now I don't have to be afraid to die. Now I can live. Now the burden is lifted. That's where David is. But you have to make sure that you confess your sins. You know, the, the one who's blessed is contrasted with the one who's bummed. 
And the difference is, I think, is verses 5 through 10, that the one who's blessed is the one who's broken. Look at at verse 5, if you would, here in Psalm 32. It says, I I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Because of the fact that David was open now, and and I think open to be broken, then he was able to be blessed. You know, I don't know if you guys know the importance of being broken, but but can I ask you that question tonight? And again, that's something that I have to ask myself, but I encourage you as a congregation, as individuals tonight, are you broken? Can God take the hammer of his word and break you tonight? Break you to the point where you come to that place of absolute surrender, where you realize that you are not your own. You were bought with a price. See, to be broken is to be blessed. I'm talking about being broken in a good sense. Psalm 34, 18, it says, The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. In Psalm 51, verse 17, it says, The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart. And what we find is that God is near, God saves, God will not reject a broken man which is why we need to come to that place of brokenness. You know, I pray that we all would be broken of our own wills, that we would all, you know, be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. If he says, I don't want that in your life, then you're like, yes, sir. You know, there's no hesitation or reservation in your absolute obedience to him. You know, we need to be broken. We need a church of people to be broken. We need people to step up and serve. And the only way that's going to happen is if you are broken. You know, we're, we're living in some interesting times. You guys know this, right? And I'm seeing it now as a pastor. There is a crossroads right now in the generation with which we live. And I don't know, I'm not a prophet or anything, But unless something radically changes, our country will no longer in any way, shape, or form be a Christian country. And so what it's dependent upon is this generation that's still fairly Christian. They're they're here on Sundays or maybe even midweeks. But but, the, the, the thing is, is that those people, they have to really step up and answer the calling upon their life. You know, in our church, you know, we're blessed with this church, man, but I'll be honest with you, there is a small percentage of people that I can look to and I can say they are here serving the Lord. They have given their lives to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, and I don't know everybody's life. I don't know all of your, you know, schedules and things like that. You know, but man, it is so true. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. 
You know, I don't know why people aren't stepping up to serve the way that they should. Maybe it's because they think they're not worthy. Listen, if that's you and you want to serve but you think you're not worthy, it's okay. Come forward. None of us are. This is the only way we will save our children. This is the only way we will save our country. We must be broken. And that's where David finally came. He comes to that place now where he acknowledges it in his life. There's an interesting passage in Matthew 21, 44. Jesus said, And whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. And so when you become a Christian, that's your desire. You want to fall on the Lord, man. You want to be broken. You don't want the flip side of that, which is judgment. You know, and so we read David finally coming clean, David acknowledging his sin. David now is living in complete honesty. Proverbs 28:13 says, "He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy." You guys know 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, is the, uh, verse 9, the Christian uh, bar of soap. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us, right? And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Some of us here, you know, we need to clean behind the ears, maybe. <laughs> you know, uh, I remember when I was growing up, my, my elbows were always dirty. My knees were always dirty. My neck was always dirty, you know, and... Uh, I think I only took a bath maybe once a week or something. You know, this morning, I'll be honest with you, it took a while for me to brush my teeth. I finally did brush my teeth uh, throughout, later on in the day. It was gross, man. You know, and I don't know. I just really, the Lord is just, I, I think he's just, he, I, I think that we need to confess our sins. We need to come clean. Maybe you need to confess to a spouse. You know, say it. Say it. Tell them what you've done wrong. Tell them how you've fallen short. Maybe you need to confess to uh, someone that you've been talking about behind their back. You're like, well, I don't know how they'll handle it. You know what? It'll take a load off of you. Confession, so important. That's how we're forgiven. And so we read in verse 6, it says, For this cause... Psalm 32, for this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. You know, we'll do it later. I'll do it tomorrow, next week, next month. Not now, Manny. You sound so urgent. Listen, you might not have tomorrow. You know, you do it when the Lord can be found in a time where God can be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him you are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. See, the enemy's trying to, to swallow you up with the guilt. The enemy's trying to make you die in your sins. And so that's why we have to come clean and confess our sins, right? And that's what David is saying right here. Man, there's this window of opportunity. We still have time. Isaiah 55, 6 and 7, it says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. 
Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. And notice, he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. I mean, think about it, man. So the sins that you guys have committed, not as bad as what David did, more than likely, right? No one here probably has ever, you know, killed anybody. At least I don't think you have. If you have, I don't want to know about it. You know, and, and David here committing adultery, the way that he did it, you know. I mean, more than likely, you haven't done stuff as bad as him. It's interesting, Saul, King Saul, you know, in one sense, his sins weren't as bad as David, but the problem was he didn't confess them. He didn't forsake them. He didn't repent of his sins. And that's why Saul died in his sins, and David didn't. Whatever you do, don't put it off until tomorrow. Get right with God today. That's what he's saying there. You know, the enemy tries to drown us in our sin, this flood of great waters, but as we confess and forsake them, then we're safe and preserved from the trouble that others get trapped in. And so here we are in a church like this on a Thursday night. We're singing songs of deliverance, right? Notice what it says right here in verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with the bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked. Again, here's the, the contrast. But he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. You know, God says in verse 8 that I, I think this is God now speaking. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. You know, and that's God saying, I see the future. I see you. I, I, I know um, myself. Um, I can't see that good, to be honest with you. This morning, a true story, I'm not I'm messing around. I, I was uh, heading down the hallway at, at, a house, at the house, and my wife, she told me, she says, well, how come you have two different shoes on, you know? I said, what do you mean? And I guess I had one black and, and one red, and I couldn't even tell. Why? Because I can't see that well. It's true. Pray for me. But she can. God can. God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Don't be like the horse or the mule. They're so wild and stubborn. Because, you know, unless they have the bit or the harness, they won't come near God. I mean, why would anyone choose a, a life of not drawing near to God? You know, and, and, and so we want to draw near, right? We want to get close. You know, as we do, then life changes, you know, I pray that we would not wait, that we would draw near. And James 4.8 is such a good passage. You know, I don't know if we have it on the screen. You look at the screen, write it down, meditate on it, memorize it. Notice what it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. But it also says, cleanse your hands. That's, that's what we're talking about, huh? Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double Minded, And this is how we draw near, by praying and obeying, right? And as we do, God does a work 
in our lives. I believe with all my heart that all of us here are as close to God as we want to be. You know, when I was praying today and just spending time with the Lord, you know, I was just kind of like, I don't know how you guys are in relationships. You know, some people are better than others in relationships. They're able to get close. They're able to get tight, you know. And it's, uh, it's never been a real easy thing for me. You know, I don't know if it's just the way that I'm wired or the way that I grew up or things like that. You know, um, I, I, but, I, but I was just telling the Lord, even though I, I kind of struggle, Lord, in relationships, the one relationship that I don't want to struggle in, Lord, is my relationship with you. I want to be so close to you, Lord. I want to draw near, Lord. I want to be able to pour out my heart to you and tell you everything inside of me, Lord. And I, I don't want anything to get in the way. I don't want no sin, nothing. I want to I pray like I'm supposed to pray. You know, because when I think about drawing near to God, I know it has to do with obeying, you know, and cleansing our hands. But I think a lot of it has to do with praying. You know, when I pray, and I don't know how you are when you pray, but it's intimate. It's, it's intimate. I can't put it into words. When I get alone with God, and, and wherever the place is, and I get on my knees or I get on my face, and I'm drawing near to God, I mean, it's that, there's nothing like that in the whole wide world. And that's what we need to, to do. You know, the, the horse and the, and the mule, they're wild and stubborn. What will it take for you to draw near to God. Prayerfully, it's not some crazy you know, thing in your life. And if it is, that's okay. Use it. But don't wait for some calamity to happen. You know, draw near to God. I, I really encourage you. This is so important for us. You know, the wicked, uh, I, I, unfortunately, I was telling Henry today, man, we, we see people that are going the wrong way, and I just, you know, they get caught up in the world, and they want to, whatever, you know, they want to make money, they got their hobbies, their interests, they got their stuff going on, one day, unless they get right, they will be sorry. That's what it says right there, many sorrows have the wicked. And so he closes there in verse 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So we're, we're, we're one of those now, like David, huh? Are you guys like that? You guys want to be like that? You're like, okay, Manny, um, Lord, I, I want to get right with you. I, I'm, I'm going to confess my sin. I'm not going to hide it. I will acknowledge it. I'm going to get real with you. Today's a day. Today's a day, Lord, of absolute surrender. And when that happens, then remember those pictures we had earlier? You're, you're just jumping for joy, man. You're praising him. Let's go through Psalm 33, and we'll do this real quick. And notice what we read in verse 1. It says, Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise from the upright is beautiful. 
Praise the Lord with the harp. Make melody to him with an instrument of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. What we're going to see in this psalm, you guys, is, uh, is a, the, the emphasis of, of praising the Lord, right? And uh, the power of it, of praising the Lord. So, you know, when we, when we sing songs, I think that's kind of part of it. Um, I, I think that sometimes as a church, we don't praise the way that we should. And, and hopefully we'll start, you know. Lord, you are so good. Lord, you are so gracious. Lord, you are so wonderful. Lord, I praise you. And you're heading into a trial and you're already thanking him. Like right now my foot's messed up. I I did something to it. I ate too much shrimp or something like that. No, I'm just joking. It's something else. Dr. Ray told me what it was. But anyways, so, but you know what, man? Even though it's kind of messed up, I was just, I'm like, Lord, thank you for healing me. Thank you for taking care of me. Lord, thank you for this. When you start praising God, there's power in that. It's beautiful. And you don't have to do it a cappella. You can do it with the guitar. You can do it with a harp. The piano is kind of a harp. You can do it with 10 strings. You can do it with cymbals. You can do it with drums. You can do it with a guitar. And you sing a new song. Why do you sing a new song? Because God's doing a new work. Amen? That's why you, the, the new songs are so important. It's a sign of revival, man, when God begins to give you new songs. And so we read... In verse 4, for the word of the Lord. Now, we're going to see he encourages them to praise, but then he gives them reasons to praise. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his work is done in truth. Now, I think, and I was reading up on this, that you can praise the Lord for the Bible. You can actually praise him for that. Lord, thank you so much for your word, and thank you, Lord, for who you are, that your work, you're not like a a conniving creator. You're a God who does things in truth. You're a God, it says in verse 5, that loves righteousness and justice. And as a matter of fact, the earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. You know? And when I read that right there, I just think, wow, Lord, that is so true. You know, how we praise God for the goodness of the earth, you know? I mean, what are some of the good things that you can praise God for? What are some of the good things in your life that you can praise God for? You know, and I was thinking about that. Uh, For me, I was thinking of my family. I was thinking of intimacy. I was thinking of love, laughter, children, church, good music, good movies, flowers, flower tortillas. I was just thinking, Lord, I can thank you because, man, the earth is just full of your goodness. And, and he's just saying, praise the Lord. Ten strings, cymbals, guitars, you know, keyboards. I mean, praise him for his word. Praise him for his works and the way he does things. Praise him because the earth is full of, of his goodness. Notice what he says right here in verse 6. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep treasures in storehouses. And I was reading about all the stars. I was reading about one star that is so huge. I think we have a picture of it 
If you guys heard of that star called UY Scooty, it's over 1,700 times bigger than our sun, over 100,000 times brighter than our sun, and it has a mass 5 billion times than our sun. And you, you know, you look at, you can't even see the sun right there. God spoke that into existence. You know, and then I was, it talks about the, the, the stars and the heavens. It talks about the sea. You know, all the sea on planet Earth, uh, it's apparently 73% of the Earth is covered in water, 326 quintillion gallons. And right here it says in verse 7, he gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap and he lays it up in his storehouses. And every once in a while, my wife will say, hey, we need water. And I got to go down to the water store and I got to get those two five-gallon jugs. And, you know, I think I'm all buff. I'm carrying them. You know, I got, I got 10 gallons, man. God has 326 quintillion gallons. That God who made everything, he loves you. He died for you. And what he's talking about right here is, is you can, there's just so many reasons to praise the Lord. Verse 8, he says, Let all the earth fear the Lord, that all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast instantly, right? The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. And you know, as you, as you look at the psalm, um, I encourage you to study this out. It's interesting how he's praising the Lord now. We're going to see for his, he, first of all, we looked at the global work then the national work in Israel, like God can take care of the nation. Then the congregational work, that would be the church because we are his chosen inheritance. And, and it's, it's just so cool. And then it gets even more personal. Look at verse 13. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men from the place of his dwelling. He looks on all the inhabitants of the earth Notice he fashions their hearts individually. He considers all their works. And, and, and it's amazing the God that we serve, again, globally, nationally, congregationally, personally. And he looks at your heart and he says, okay, that one over there, this is the work that I have for them to do. And I'm going to fashion their heart. It's going to be custom made for the calling that I've placed on their life. And that's how God works. And I'll be honest with you, and here's what I've always seen in David, and you've got to see it in the Psalms, that if God can get a hold of one man, if God can get a hold of one woman, if God can get a hold of you, yes, you, all of you, if God can get a hold of you, then your family, it will, it will have an impact on your family, congregationally, nationally and globally because that's what God did with David. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God can do anything through someone who is completely 
committed to him. I do. And that's why when I hear the Lord talking about something going on globally and nationally, I think of the United States of America. I think of this community. I think of this congregation. I think of my family. And I believe with all my heart that if God can get a hold of all of me, then he now, maybe, he can do a work in any of these realms. And that's what we're seeing here in this psalm right here. It's such a beautiful psalm, the way that he fashions our heart individually. You know, it says in verse 16, No king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. The horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. You know, and he's talking about, you know, the the nation. He's talking about a person. Behold, the eyes of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. And so our soul, what does it do? It waits for the Lord. It doesn't step out in the flesh. It waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield For our hearts shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. And that whole psalm right there, it's all just an encouragement to praise him. You guys, praise the Lord because of who he is and what he's done and the way that he, you know, is on the throne and is able to impact, you know, globally, nationally, congregationally, family, even personally, right? Praise him for that. And then the very last verse, what does he do? He prays. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us just as we hope in you. And that's how we need to pray, you guys. Because as the as the mercy of God covers our life and as God begins to work in us as a church, what we're going to find is that we can be forgiven, we can be protected, not just physically, because he's talking about war and horses and things like that, but, but most importantly, spiritually. You know, because number one, there's a battle for you eternally, and then number two, there's a battle for you on life, on planet Earth, and whether or not you're going to have that victory in time and it's a spiritual battle that we need his protection in and so the other night uh, we were coming home we can have the musicians uh, come forward i'll close with this last it's kind of an interesting thing it was tuesday night we had gone to the pastor's conference and we get a phone call from our daughter that uh she hears a noise in in the back side of the house and uh um again we don't know for sure what was going on but uh, she's pretty sure that somebody was trying to get into our house. Now, it's not the first time that's happened. We've actually had someone try to get into our house who was having, you know, mental issues. And they had a bar. And one time the police, you know, they came and they actually caught the individual. Um, but since then, this individual is, is still out there. And so, you know, we, we get the phone call. And, uh, and I was just thinking, you know, in my mind, you know, I don't know what you guys would do if you're, you're, you know, on your way home and your daughter calls and says, I hear a noise on the side of the house. How many of you here would be like, uh, relax, there's probably a squirrel or a skunk 
or a coyote. You know, and, 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 and you know, it's kind of like in the back of your mind, you think, well, maybe I'll just, I'm sure it's nothing, right? No, absolutely not. You're like, man, I'm calling the police. I'm stepping on the gas. I'm getting my gun, you know. <laughs> you know, why? Because you want to protect them, right? And that's just a physical thing. I want you guys to know that there is someone trying to get in, so to speak, in your house, in your family. And we need to let God be our guard. We need to let Him protect us. We need to let Him, you know, forgive us. A lot of things going on in the psalm tonight, but wherever you're at, whether you're here and you need to rededicate your life or, you know, just come full bore and just, you know, just say, Manny, you know what, I'll stand right here and this is what I want you to do. I want you to get the hammer of God's word and I want you to hit me over the head and break me because I need to surrender my life to God. We're not playing games. This is your life hanging in the balance. I pray, you guys, we would do that. He loves you. He wants to protect you. Let him. Let him call upon the Lord while he may be found.